The reading is taken from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, and is on page 1213 of the Church Bibles. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the words planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Great, please keep the passage open in front of you. Page 1213. If you've closed your Bibles, please open it up again. And then you'll see on the back of the notice sheet as well, there's uh, the headings. Uh, I think they're there at any rate. Yes, they are there. Great. Good. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray, please, that you would teach us, help us to be ready to listen, and not merely listen, but to do what your word says. Amen. Well, we said last week that the church that James is writing to, are, uh, he accuses them of being double-minded. Well, that's the problem that they could have, that they are double-minded. In that... Uh, they are saying that they follow Jesus, that they're followers of Jesus, but their lives don't match that profession. Their profession of faith and their lifestyle doesn't go together. We said that's like having one foot on the land, one foot in the boat. It, it, that's not going to go well, is it? Or, to change the illustration, uh, the church was being like spiritual chameleons, changing the way they spoke and the way they lived depending on where they were and this can be a problem for us too that when we're in church when we're gathered with God's people we are, we look like everyone else in church use the same language use christian language we talk of spiritual things and yet when we're at work maybe we join in with the crude jokes and gossip that everyone else uses or when we're at home, we're different again. When we're at college, when we're at school, when we're at university, we're different depending on where we are and with the groups that we're with. And that is to be double-minded. 
to say we're Christians, but actually not to live it out. No, James says we need to be consistent, wholehearted, both feet in the Jesus boat. Our lives must match the fact that we're Christians. Life and faith to be consistent. Well, we need to hear James on this, just to see how in the first paragraph that we had read, we're still getting a bit of a buzzing. I think it might be coming from that. Shall I turn that? Is there a speaker? Yeah, no, you don't know. I don't know either. That may be, yeah, no, I can hear it. There's a buzzing. It might be that one. There we go. Is that better? Yeah, that's better for me. It's not better for you, but I'm seeing shakes of heads. But it's better for me. Um, I can't hear that, that buzzing there. So that, that was obviously affecting me. Are you guys all right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can hear all right. Okay, good. Good, good. Okay, so life and faith, they need to match. Let's see how James addresses this in the first paragraph that was just read for us by Janet. Notice in this paragraph that he talks about various things that we need to do, various lifestyle things, behaviours, the way that we speak. I'm going to read that paragraph again and notice the, the sort of lifestyle that he's talking about. So he says, verse 19 to 21, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, we're not actually, ironically, we're not going to dwell on the behaviours you would think that we should, given that, that he's talking about life and, and faith. But we're not going to dwell on those behaviours this morning because he comes back to them later in the letter and dwells much more on them. But this morning, I want you to see the reasons why. Why is he saying that there should be this consistency of life and faith? Why? What, did you notice a motivation in there? Why should we behave like this? Verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. We need to know in the Bible the word righteousness is used in at least two ways. The first way is a way which is that someone is righteous in that they are perfect and therefore in a right standing before God. That righteousness is not one that you and I can earn. We cannot make it happen in our lives. We need, if you read the book of Romans, we need God to give us that righteousness. It is a righteousness we must receive through Christ, through his death for us. So there is that righteousness. But this righteousness that James is talking about is a bit different. This is the life that God wants his people to live, the behaviour that God requires of us. So there's those two ways of using the word righteousness. This is talking about a righteousness God wants to, to happen in the lives of his people, the behaviour that he wants from us, the lifestyle. It doesn't make us right with God. No, we need to receive that righteousness. This is the product of God working in our lives and the behaviour that comes from it. So James is saying there is a way God wants us to live a life of righteousness, and he says anger doesn't match that. What else does he say about why? Verse 21, 
He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. So you could say of the righteousness before, we need God to give us righteousness, to make us right with him. And then he, he works righteousness into our lives, the behavior that is to come out. Here you see, he's talking about the word planted in someone's life. And so that's our first point on the screen. I don't I, hopefully, it, no, have you not got slides? Oh, you've not got slides. Did I not upload them? Okay, my mistake, I'm sorry, I thought I had. Um, follow it on the sheet then. Um, the first thing to spot is the word, imp- the word planted. That is, uh, what's that talking about? The word planted is God working in someone's life so that they receive the word. That is the gospel message. Now, if you notice, that links back to verse 18, where it says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose to give us birth through, the, birth through the word of truth. Now, you've got two different illustrations going on there, haven't you? What has God done in the life of a Christian? He has brought us to birth through the word of truth. So that is a, a beginning. It's God doing it. He brings us to birth through the word of truth. That is through hearing and believing the gospel message. The gospel message that we are sinners, that we deserve God's wrath. And yet Christ came out of love for us, came to die for us on the cross, that we might be forgiven, that we might be made righteous. We hear that message and we put our trust in it. And as, that, as we do, that is God giving us new birth through his word. Or, as it says in verse 21, it is God planting his word in us. Like a gardener, maybe you've done this this year already, planting seeds. That is the image that James is using, that God has planted his word in you. And that's our first point. The word planted. Now, that is important to grasp because there is another danger that we might fall into. One danger will be to think that we can live for Christ, uh, that we can claim to be Christ's, but live a completely different life. The other thing that we might get wrong is to think that being a Christian is just about the lifestyle. It's just about the things that you do. And therefore, you might think, well, I I go to church, I take communion, I've been baptized, I am therefore a Christian. I I do the things. I'm good to people. And sometimes we get this wrong, don't we? We, We think, well, maybe all good people really are Christians, or they're all right with God. And sometimes you think of good people and you think, actually, those good people, they're better than many Christians I know. They're really good. And you think, well, surely they're all right with God. As if the goodness, the things they do, that's all it is really to be a Christian. That's at root what being a Christian is. And and James is saying, no, 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 there has to be something done to you by God for you to be a Christian. You've got to have been brought to new birth. We've talked about this before in previous sermons. You've got to have been brought to new birth through the word of truth. You've got to have the word of God planted in you. That's got to have happened. God has to do that. That is not something that you can do for yourself. No no amount of good works, just being good, just being nice, makes a person a Christian. No, God has to have done that work in a person. 
But then James says, is saying, you need to accept that word planted in you. Did you notice that in verse 21? Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. And in the context, that accepting the word planted in you, it seems to me James is saying, look, if the word is in you, you've got to accept it. And that acceptance is going to be living it out, living it out in day-to-day life. And so that will involve being careful about how you speak, that you would be slow to speak, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, he says in verse 19. So it's going to have an impact on the way you speak. And on anger, those kind of things. He's saying, if you accept the word planted in you, it's going to bear fruit in your life. It's going to grow. It's going to change you. And so our second point, which I hope is on the sheet, is the word planted must become the word lived. The word planted must become the word lived. And that is what he goes on to explain then in verses 22 to 25. That then becomes an explanation of this word planted becoming the word lived. Or, as the big point is there in verse 22, as he says it there, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then he illustrates, doesn't he? And there are several illustrations in the book of James that stick with you. I hope they will once we've gone through the whole book. There are several illustrations that really hit home and where you you should go away thinking about them because he's so good at coming up with illustrations. And this is one of them that sticks with you. It is of a person in front of a mirror. You think of the book of James. I think of that illustration. Someone in front of a mirror. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word... But does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks uh, what he looks like so what's the illustration well you can imagine it can't you someone first thing in the morning maybe you first thing in the morning or maybe it's not first thing in the morning but at some point you go you look in the mirror and you see you look a mess i mean you don't none of you look a mess this morning But let's say you did. You looked in the mirror and you saw you were a mess. Your hair was all over the place, spinach in your teeth, gunk in your eye. Why you've been eating spinach during the night, I don't know. But anyway, spinach in your teeth, gunk in your eyes. You know, you're looking pretty disastrous. And yet you go away and you forget all about it and therefore don't do anything about it. And that's a strong image, isn't it? But James is saying that's us if we listen to the word of God but don't do it. Now, notice one thing James is saying there, just inherent in that illustration is that everyone who comes to the word of God is going to see things about themselves that they need to change, things they are not getting right, that it it will be the consistent... um, Uh, uh, experience of the Christian that as we come to God's word we will read it and we are likely to go oh I'm not doing that or I need to change that we're not going to come to the word of God read it and just go got all that sorted we're not going to be like this reminded me of and this shows my age um, uh, I don't know if you watched the TV program Happy Days 
I remember that from my childhood. Happy Days. Don't worry if you've not, if you've not watched it. It just dates me. But Happy Days, the, the kind of main guy in there, or the, one of the main guys, the cool guy in there was the Fonz, if you watched that. The Fonz, he was cool. He was the guy who wore the leather jacket and had the hair. And, you know, he, he was cool, wasn't he? And in the opening sequence, do you remember what he did? He, he comes to the mirror with his comb to look at it, and he goes like that and goes, hey. Why? Because he thinks it's perfect. I don't need to do anything. And he goes off and be cool and whatever. We're not going to be like that when we come to the Word of God. This is saying we're going to come to the Word of God. And actually, it's wrong. If we come to the Word of God and we look at it and we go, hey, then we've missed the point, haven't we? There are going to be things in there, as we come to it, which are going to say, actually, you've got spinach in your teeth. Your hair's all over the place. You're going to need to change. And rather than looking and forgetting, what does James say we need to do? Verse 25, he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What does this instruct us to do? What's James saying we need to do? He's saying you've got to look intently into the perfect law. Now, the perfect law here is another way in context. It's another way of talking about the word of God. So he's saying you need to look intently into it. And then he says, you are to stick with it. But this is no cursory glance, is it? This is no quick flash in the mirror just having a look at it. This is an intent looking and it is a sticking with it. And then it is an applying it, isn't it? Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Now, let's apply that to ourselves, shall we? Yeah, what difference is that going to make if we're going to read God's word intently, continue with it, and do it? Let's apply this to three areas in which we hear the word of God. So we're going to think about three applications here, okay? The first of which is your own daily Bible reading. Now, I want to encourage you, if you don't do that, if you're thinking, well, that's not an application for me because I don't do it, I want to encourage you to do some daily Bible reading. Read a bit of the Bible every day. That's part of us looking intently into it and sticking with it. You might be thinking, well, I haven't done that for ages. Well, today's the day to turn over a new leaf, isn't it? The Christian life is full of uh, turning overs of new leaves because it's going to be. Because as we read the word of God and are challenged by it, we're continually going to have to repent and come back and go, I, mean, I need to start this again. So can I encourage you to read God's word daily, to get into it, read it. Now, for some, you'll say, well, uh, that's, that's hard. Maybe for you, that's because of uh, uh, d difficulty you have with reading. Uh, for one reason or another, maybe dyslexia, maybe eyesight problems. Maybe. There can be all sorts of reasons why we might struggle to read the Word of God. Uh, can I encourage you to persevere, uh, maybe with reading, but also maybe there are other ways, through listening, audio Bibles, things like that. Maybe others can help you to think, how can I engage with this? If I'm struggling to read it, how can I hear it? How can I engage with the Word of God day by day? For some, it's about pressures of family or, or work where you just think, I just don't have much time. Well, this is important, isn't it? James is saying, we've got to do this. We've got to look intently into it. But the way you do it at different times, different stages in life is going to vary. It's going to, 
uh, vary depending on what time you've actually got, but I want to encourage you, however much time you've got, actually to do it day by day. And then, and this is going to be true for all of our applications, then to be asking yourself, what do I need to change as a result of what I've read? What do I need to change? That's got to be on our thinking from what James is saying here. That's got to be our thinking, hasn't it? At the end of all of our Bible reading times, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently as a result of what I've read? Uh, Alec Matea warns us in his book on James. He warns us of the danger of he says, we, we're in danger of preening ourselves with the idea that we have read our verses, read our Bible verses for the day. So maybe at the beginning of the day, we read a few verses. And that means we go into the day thinking, well, I've, you know, like a bird that preens itself, makes itself look good. And we think, well, I've read my verses for the day, and I go into the day having done that. But actually, we haven't asked ourselves the challenging question, so what? What difference is this going to make? And therefore, I want to encourage you, you might want to read less of the Bible, a little bit less, to give yourself more time to be thinking, how do I apply what I have read? How do I put it into practice? And then do it. So that's our own daily Bible reading. We've got to keep asking, what do I need to change? Second, home groups. Now, again, I'd encourage you to be in a home group if you possibly can. For some, they don't work, uh, which is fine. But actually, even if they don't work, can I encourage you, meet up with someone. Maybe one other person, maybe two couples meeting together. The important thing is that we're doing the opening up of God's word, whether it's in a home group or whether it's in a different context. But if you are in a home group, be committed to that, to get along and help one another open up the word of God. And I want you to encourage your leaders, whoever's leading it, that you don't finish until you've said, what difference does this make to us? What difference is this actually going to make? I know it's easy within a small group at times that we let one another off the hook on this. I've been in small groups in the past where that's happened. I think of one in particular. Um, wasn't in this church. Uh, but uh, we, it was, you could tell that the Lord was stirring us as we read his word. Because the challenge was to love one another in the group as Christ loved us. And you could feel at that moment there was a real sense that we'd thought about how, much, how has Christ loved us? And we, we thought about that and we were really challenged by actually the extreme example of Christ's love for us. And then we said, well, actually, we're supposed to love one another in this way. What's that going to mean? And we went through that. And it was a real challenge. And you could feel it in the room. Everyone going, wow, this is, if we live this out, this is going to be incredible. And then person by person we let each other off the hook we did it brilliantly we say well of course I, I've got a busy life I've got children I can't, I can't commit more time to this and I've got pressure in my work I can't, I can't do this and by the time we'd finished all the application had gone like sand going through our fingers it had, it had all just disappeared and we all went home and did absolutely nothing from what we'd read the challenge was there and yet we let ourselves off and our temptation at that point is to think well yeah but this demand of the word of god is too much of course it is the perfect law that gives freedom when we obey it it is good for us it is a good thing and actually probably what we should have done at that point was to say no hang on okay maybe we've come up with a whole load of different things I and mean, it just feels impossible what's the first step 
that we can do to apply the word of God here and not just give up on it. So I want to encourage you in your group to persist with asking, what do we need to change? And the last application Sorry, what do we need to change? And how are we going to hold one another accountable on this? Just another thing in, in small groups. Can I encourage you, the next week, at the beginning of the session, we've done this in the past, but can I encourage you to do it again? Beginning of the next study to say, how did we do at putting into practice what we learned last week? And actually spend a little bit of time on that. It may give you less time for this week's study. But it's important, isn't it, if we're going to put into practice the word of God, that we're actually saying, no, how did we do on that? So can I encourage you to do that? Maybe they need to get more serious about it. How do we apply this between sessions? Maybe we need a WhatsApp group for our, for our group where we encourage one another to say, actually, how are we putting this into practice? Or you're texting someone to say, how are you doing putting this into practice in that context where you said it was going to be a challenge? How do we help one another to do this? So that's small groups, home groups. Last application is sermons. It's easy, I think, to fall into um, listening to sermons like food critics. So you think, oh, well, the starter, the introduction to the sermon was almost non-existent. Maybe you think, oh, I was a bit bland, didn't have much taste to it, didn't hook me. Uh, maybe the main course, well, it wasn't one of his best. I wasn't sure where he was going. Uh, it was all a bit all over the place. And as for the ending, the dessert, well, there was just too much of it. And uh, I gave up before the end. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not so harsh when you listen to sermons. I hope you're not. But we can do that, can't we? We can be like food critics when it comes to sermons. And we can end up thinking, well, that was a bit of a forgettable meal. Now, of course, preachers, we need to work on our preaching. We need to get feedback. I do get feedback. And we need to work on making sermons faithful and accessible and applicable and, you know, all those sorts of things. But this challenge is for the hearer, isn't it? Do you come to the preaching of God intent on digging into the word of God and applying it? Or do you come to the sermon mainly thinking about how long it will be? I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think it was him, who bemoaned those who come to church thinking first and foremost about going home. Wondering as they enter the building, not about the fact that they are going to be engaging with the word of the living God, but thinking more, is it going to be an hour and a half, an hour and a quarter, this service? When do we go home? That is not the way to approach the gathering of God's people, is it? No, we need to come intent on uh, uh, reading God's word, continuing in it and putting it into practice. So, uh, so we need to think, win sermons, with sermons, what do we need to change as a result of this? Preachers need to think about it. We need to think about application. You need to think about it as you're listening. Uh, several times people have said to me, um, the time after the service, it would be great if we were talking about the sermon, what we've been listening to. And yet it's so easy, isn't it, after the service, not to talk about that. You talk about um, all sorts of other things, which can be very important, health problems that you've got, or maybe um, uh, sporting events going on, the ashes or football or whatever it might be that you're into. And it's so easy just to get into talking about those things and not to th talk about 
the word of God and what's been preached. And the difficulty, I think, can be that we're not quite sure how to start that conversation. It's awkward, isn't it? You think, I don't know how to begin that. Let me give you an opening line that you could use. What do we need to change as a result of the sermon? What do you need to change as a result of the sermon? And you might want to begin yourself by saying, I was challenged. I think I need to change this, whatever it is. What about you? And that conversation may not go anywhere, but it may be really helpful for one another to engage with that. So there's a little opening line for you. What do we need to change as a result of what we've heard? And can I urge you, if there happens to be a sermon where afterwards you go home and you have over Sunday lunch, you're sort of, you, you think to yourself or you talk with someone else and they say, well, you know, what was the sermon about? And you go, I cannot remember. I, can't, I got nothing from it. Can I challenge you that that is the moment at which you need to get your Bible out, open it up for yourself and say, right, what do I need to do from this passage? Don't be content with just going home and thinking, I got nothing from that. No, that's where we need to get more active, isn't it? And ask ourselves, what do I need to change from this passage? Go back to it and ask yourself that. And then maybe come and tell me the following week what the application should have been. So there you go, three applications, three places in which we hear the word of God, your own daily Bible reading, Bible study groups, home groups, and the preached word of God. What do we need to change? That's the big question, isn't it? Now, there's one final point from the passage. This is much briefer, but it is an important challenge, and it should be the third thing on your sheet. The word planted must become the word lived or... We have deceived ourselves. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Verse 26, the next verse, have a look at it. He says, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Now, he, he wrote at the start of the passage about how we speak, and here he comes back to it. He says, if we don't keep a time rein on our tongues, then we've deceived ourselves. Our religion is useless. And he's used language of self-deception earlier as well. Did you spot it? He says, um, uh, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. So now he's applying that. He's saying, look, if all we do is listen to the word, but don't put it into practice when it comes to how we speak, then we've deceived ourselves. Our religion is worthless. Our Christianity is worthless. We might come to church Sunday by Sunday, hear the word preached, do our own Bible times, go to home group, and we could be self-deceived if we don't seek to live it out. We're like those who talk about football a lot. Sorry, we've had sporting analogies a fair amount, haven't we? Talk about football a lot. You know the kind of person who talks about football a lot, has all the kit, sounds like they're a professional, talks about it the whole time. And then you actually ask, when was the last time you kicked a ball? And you say, well, it's not been a long time. You go, well, you're not actually a footballer then. A Christian is someone who seeks to put into practice what the word of God And so uh, he puts this into practice, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Now, James isn't giving a definition of pure and faultless religion. He's not saying everything there is to say about religion, just as football is not just about kicking a ball. There's more to be said about it. So there's more to be said about what being a Christian is, but he's saying it must include these things. It must include the putting into practice of what you read in the Word of God. And we will come back to the the applications of that, the, the kind of things that he's talking about as we go through the book of James. But the big point is the planted word must become the lived word or we have deceived ourselves. So, what do you need to change as a result of this sermon? I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. Just have a think. What do you need to change as a result of this? going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, please would you help us to put into practice what we have learned this morning and to be persistent in asking what we need to change, whether in our own daily Bible reading, in small groups, uh, in home group, uh, as the word is preached. Father, please help us to be persistent in that, that the word planted would become the word lived. Father, would we uh, not be deceived Pray, please, that if we are, that you would show us that uh, and that we would indeed put into practice what we read. Amen.